You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 106 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton, and uh, I'm actually coming to you today from Dallas, Texas. It's uh, it's it's Monday, August 28, 2017, uh, three days after Hurricane Harvey has uh, struck Houston. Uh, this is not a podcast that we, I guess, had hoped to record. Uh, we were hoping this podcast would be more of a college football preview, uh, and it will be. We have Stuart Mandel from The Athletic uh, joining us here in just a few moments, but uh, it, it's been catastrophic in Houston. Uh, my co-host, Jeremy Paxton uh, is actually taking refuge at Hunter Atkins's apartment uh, in, in downtown Houston. Uh, it, it's not a good situation in Houston. Uh, just running through some of the numbers, uh, the scope of Harvey's impact, uh, just to show you, just to put it in perspective, uh, the population of the 54 counties included in the Texas Disaster Declaration make up 41% of the state's 27.9 million people. That's insane. Just in Houston alone, there have been more than 56,000 calls to 911 since Friday. More than 2,000 people have been rescued. There have been 290 high water rescues since just last midnight. There have been 185 pending rescue requests. Uh, so Houston is in a very, very bad situation right now. This is very reminiscent of you know, the aftermath that we saw with Hurricane Katrina back in 2005. And uh, so far, there are reports that 30,000 people are currently in shelters and, and many more on their way. And just to show you the magnitude of the area impacted the area of Texas that is currently underwater, it's comparable to the distance between New York and Boston. That's quite a lot of land, and it's not letting up. Uh, reports say that the uh, storm is going to head out into the Gulf of Mexico and eventually make landfall again over the greater Houston area. And I don't think Houston's going to see a reprieve until Thursday or Friday of this week, but uh, just an update on myself, uh, I actually made the decision Friday night around 9.30 or 10 o'clock to leave Houston, uh, and I drove to Dallas, Texas, uh, leaving family and friends behind. Uh, it was very eerie uh, leaving Houston that night. I left in between outer bands as Hurricane Harvey had just uh, made landfall near Rockport, Texas, uh, southwest along the coastline in Texas from where uh, Houston is situated. But it was very eerie uh, leaving Houston. Uh, the roads were completely empty, which is typically not the case for a Friday night. Uh, there was lightning very heavily uh, lighting up the skies. Uh, rain was falling. It, it wasn't bad enough where you couldn't see or is impacting the roads and the safety. But you knew that was coming. Uh, I've lived in Houston or the greater Houston area for my entire life. I remember growing up in the woodlands in 1994 and seeing uh, some massive storms uh, drench the north side of Houston. Uh, 2001, we had Tropical Storm Allison, which uh, is one of the largest and most expensive natural 
disasters, uh, you know, weather-related natural disasters, to hit the United States. Um, of course, 2015, 2016, we had the uh, the Memorial Day floods and the Tax Day floods in Houston. We've had a lot of flooding in Houston recently, and a lot of it is in speculation because of the growing development of the city. Um, you know, so much concrete, the water doesn't have places to drain. But I mean, right now, most parts of Houston have seen more than 20 inches of rain. Isolated portions of Houston have seen more than 30 to 35 inches of rain. That's an absurd number, and it's going to continue to rise. Uh, my parents are uh, living in the woodlands, and uh, they might lose their house here in the next few hours. Uh, their neighborhood is taken in a ton of water. There is a creek right behind their house. Uh, it's not a good situation. So thoughts and prayers certainly to everyone in the uh, greater Houston area that have been impacted uh, by this storm. And we will continue to provide uh, updates as we get them. And I just want to encourage you um, to check out HoustonChronicle.com. Uh, they've been providing great information. Uh, members of the media here in Houston have been doing a hell of a job covering uh, the storm and the events, and they've been providing valuable information for those that are in need. Uh, we just encourage you to uh, capitalize on that and let people know if you need help. Uh, one thing that we've seen is that Houston is definitely um, showing that they're wanting to help one another. I've seen people open up their doors. I mean, just for example, Hunter opened up his doors for Jeremy and his girlfriend, Kara. So it's just remarkable to see. But uh, I'm just going to provide some inter just some emergency numbers for you, uh, which you can probably uh, check out on our website at weeklybrewcast.com. But of course, if you need to call the police, firefighters, or ambulance, 911, or you can dial 713-884-3131. Uh, if you need to get a hold of FEMA, the number is 1-800-525-0321. Uh, Office of Emergency Management, 713-881-3100. Uh, if you need to call the Houston Red Cross, 713-526-8300. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to need donations. Uh here in the next few months, years, as the city recovers, as the state recovers from this, uh, this catastrophic storm, these catastrophic rains, uh, some organizations that I would encourage you to potentially donate to would be Team Rubicon, a great veteran-led organization uh, that specializes in disaster relief. Uh, I, I assure you that they will be here in Houston uh, when given the go-ahead. Uh, they are going to mobilize their team. Uh, and, and they do great work. They've done great work here in Houston before, and, and I know they'll do it following Hurricane Harvey. Also, the American Red Cross. Uh, it, it, donate money if you can. It'll go to the right spot. Uh, and if you if you can, donate blood. Blood banks are going to need uh, as much help as they can get over in the next few weeks. But uh, here in just a few moments, I'm going to actually jump on the phone line with Hunter and Jeremy. Uh, as they are kind of giving a live update from uh, downtown Houston and just the situation there, uh, what Jeremy had seen uh, in downtown as floods just kind of almost trapped him in. Uh, and then we're going to close the show with just a, a little bit of college football talk. We've got Stuart Mandel from uh, the All-American and the Athletic, which is actually launching by the time you're uh, listening to this podcast. And uh, to be perfectly frank, that's what we wanted to talk this week. We wanted to talk football. We wanted to talk about fun stories. 
Unfortunately, Hurricane Harvey and the massive floods that have uh, struck Houston have forced us to kind of change uh, episode 106 of the podcast. And as a result, I'm, I'm doing this podcast essentially solo from Dallas, Texas. Uh, so yeah, I honestly, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. I don't know much. I don't know what more I can say. Uh, and I, and I hope I haven't bored people, but I just want to encourage you to look at our social media channels, weekly brewcast. I'm going to sit here in, in Dallas and try to retweet as much information as I can. Hunter Atkins, you could follow him at Hunter Atkins 35. He's been doing a hell of a job retweeting, providing information for those in need. Uh, we just encourage you to follow that. So, um, Without further ado, uh, here's a little interview that we did with Hunter and Jeremy, and then shortly after that, Stuart Mandel on college football. Stay safe, Houston. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. So I'm not exactly sure that this is how any of us plan to record this podcast episode, but unfortunately, uh, you know, a natural disaster struck our city uh, this week as Hurricane Harvey has just... Uh, poured rain over the city of Houston, and uh, right now I've got Hunter and Jeremy on the phone lines uh, from uh, Hunter's apartment, actually, in uh, Houston, and uh, Jeremy, uh, both you and your girlfriend, Kara, actually uh, left downtown Houston this afternoon, and uh, I guess, you know, became refugees at Hunter's uh, apartment. Uh, Can you kind of walk us through uh, what the scene was in downtown Houston this afternoon, just kind of exploring the, uh, I guess, the damage that has taken place here in the last few hours. Well, the general rule has been you know, when you're downtown, it's if you're the closer you are to the bayou, the worse off you are. Uh, if you walk around anywhere near Texas and Smith next to the Wortham Center, like Bayou Place, that entire area is underwater. Um, and it actually was getting worse as I was out earlier today. Um, all those underground parking structures, Jones Hall, Everything is filling up with water, so it's it, it looks really bad, and it's um, unfortunately it looks like it's getting worse. There were cops that were constantly blocking off new streets as we were walking around, trying to keep pedestrians and traffic from entering the area. Um, definitely worse than anything I've seen previously. Allison, um, any of the, the tax day floods, Memorial Day floods. I mean, I, I've never seen anything like this in my life. You know, we were kind of on a group thread earlier this week just talking about uh, what we thought could happen with this storm. And I, I think, you know, we were kind of cautiously optimistic that hopefully it wouldn't be as bad as, you know, some of the prognosticators projected. Uh, and it turned out to be just that bad and if not worse. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I think one thing that uh, I've taken away from, like, you know, just having a lot of experience in these floods and being downtown is that downtown usually doesn't flood. And then to see the bayou overflow its banks so quickly like that. And I don't know, like, if you could, if you have watched some of the videos coming out of this area, but there's actually a current to the water. I mean, it's just the sheer volume of the water coming out of that area is just incredible. So this is definitely the most, um, this is probably the most catastrophic storm that Houston has been through in at least 50 to 100 years. Yeah, I mean, they're calling it a thousand-year storm. Uh, Hunter, I mean, this is, uh, I guess this is your first experience with uh, the city of Houston flooding and you know you opened your doors to uh, Jeremy and Kara I mean can you kind of I guess talk about from your perspective coming in from New York and just kind of witnessing it uh, seeing from your perspective the city sort of rallied together people opening up their doors I've seen reports that Airbnbs are actually offering free stays for uh, people that have homes that are dry Uh, it just seems like the community's really uh, rallying around one another that's great yeah don't forget the Cajun Navy right they kind of started this social media movement of uh, you know, dropping everything you're doing, helping anybody in need. Um, 
uh, my my act of generosity is certainly at the bottom of the uh, the totem pole for you know for the hierarchy of great deeds that I've done. Uh, e- opening my space for Jeremy and Kara and this rambunctious awful dog they have <laughs> is, uh, is 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 really not that big a deal to me. Um, even though they've caused me to evacuate my home just uh, to allow them and their rambunctious awful dog to uh, take full reign and urinate on my floor and uh, <laughs> and and be a total bark monster. Uh, but other than that, it's been great. Yeah, Bo's Bo's pretty stressed out by the storm. Mind you, he is the weekly brew mascot. Um, he will be going to obedience <laughs> school first thing, first thing when this water clears. No, I, yeah, Hunter's generosity is definitely not near the bottom of the list. I don't know. Of course, you guys don't know where we were, but um, seeing it, the rice lost there downtown, and so it happened. There was actually a fire in the sewer. Um, which I got saw some incredible video. It looks like um, quite a fire, like on top of this, like below this manhole um, next to the apartment. And the fire department came out there, like told us there was going to be an explosion at some point, like to get out of there as fast as we could. So that's what we did. We came down here and of course are enjoying Hunter's generosity. Um, it's just really incredible what's, what's happening because of this storm. Oh, yeah. And I was, I was going to say, it's not, it's not like I have any experience with, um, what's going on out in the street. I've, I've been really lucky that I live in the Montrose neighborhood, which is, you know, like eight to 12 minutes South of the, uh, <clears throat> the city center. And all I've gotten is just heavy rainfall, but my car is fine. The streets around my apartment are not flooded. I've had power the entire time. I've had water the entire time. Uh, I've, I've been very lucky that I really haven't um, received any either damage or, anything encumbering my, uh, my, uh, my, my stay during the storm. So, you know, it looks really crazy outside my window, but all I can go on in terms of your question about the acts of generosity and the rescue missions is what I've seen on, uh, really only on Twitter. And it does look like, uh, as expected, right. That, that people who have boats are rescuing animals, that there was an elderly home and that was, uh, you know, like, tended to immediately from this harrowing image. Do you know what I'm talking about, Austin? There's a really yeah, terrifying yeah. It was it was an image of uh, several right elder right. women that were in a retirement home that were essentially yeah. uh, just sitting in sitting water. in the water. Right. Yeah. But um, but the, but they were at, but but that photo was still circulating. But they were actually taken out um, hours ago. So yeah, it's it's been yeah, really sort of inspiring to see everybody drop uh, drop everything to help. Uh, people in need and you know as far as uh, even in, in places as far as cyprus and tomball trying to get them south meyerland meyer meyer meyerland I, I saw was is basically completely submerged right and uh, people were, were taking them out in uh, boats yeah, i've actually received some text messages from people that are in meyerland and uh you, you know they've got the coast guard flying over their houses right now so it's definitely a frightening situation and hunter i know that you are from new york uh, were you there for sandy yeah but sandy you know, uh, Sandy was basically the Corpus Christi of, um, you know, the territory in in New York City. So um, that, you know, the damage from it, it really didn't affect the city center nearly so catastrophically as it did the coastal territories. So I can't even relate in that regard. And, you know, you also work for the Chronicle, which we've discussed several times on the show. And uh, you guys are doing, I guess, a good service for uh, the city of Houston. Yeah, the coverage has been amazing. The paywall was completely dropped so that anybody can follow the storm coverage. We have 24-7 updates, including a reporter named John D. Harden, who he has not slept. He just he went on Friday. 
he moved to the emergency call center, I guess, or just one of these emergency centers where uh, for rescues. And he set up his laptop, and he, he has not slept. He just moved there for the entire weekend uh, to do as much reporting as possible. His stuff is outstanding, John D. Harden. I think his Twitter is at J.D. Harden. Uh, we also have flood maps that are constantly being updated for what areas have been flooded, what areas are at risk for more flooding. Um, you know, just like up to the minute um, data and information for anybody wanting to know their area and the other areas that are going to be affected by the devastation. On top of that, there really have been some incredible photographs, incredible stories um, about, you know, whether it's rescue missions like we talked about before or the, um, you know, the high rising water that has submerged uh, all of Buffalo Bayou, uh, Memorial Park, stuff like that. Right. I thought it was incredible just looking at some of these pictures actually on cron.com. Uh, the CBS affiliate KHOU completely flooded their downstairs, their, their downstairs level in this storm, which I don't think that's ever happened before. So it's so, so long as I you know, pay attention to it. So um, they actually broadcast it from one of the top levels of their station today. So just just an incredible just, just an incredible storm that's moved through the area. And I can't help but think that you know, things are unfolding around us that we have no knowledge of, that it won't be until years later that we actually get to see um, and hear about. But um, I know that for my part, I'm extremely thankful that I have a place to stay tonight. Thanks so much to Hunter for, for taking us in tonight. It's really um, no small act of generosity in the midst of all this. Guys, uh, stay safe through the rest of the storm and uh, keep me updated. And we'll continue to, uh, you know, retweet and share images and share information as we get them. But uh, make sure to check out HoustonChronicle.com. Great coverage there. Hunter's been retweeting just about everything uh, in terms of storm coverage. So highly recommend uh, following his feed as well. That's at Hunter Atkins 35. And uh, guys, stay safe. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Joining us now on The Weekly Brew Podcast is Stuart Mandel, editor-in-chief of The All-American, a premium subscription college football site that is launching August 28th, or probably the time that most of our listeners are downloading this episode. And uh, Stuart, it's game week and launch week for you. How are things going for you out on the West Coast? I mean, it's been such such a hectic and exciting preseason. It's great to have some actual games to talk about and, of course, to write about now that we have a site. Yeah, and I guess before we, you know, dive into anything else football-related, I want to start with The Athletic. And uh, we've spoken quite a bit on, you know, the, on, on this podcast, actually, about the recent layoffs at ESPN, Fox, Sports Illustrated, and other media outlets. And I don't know, there was kind of a common theme after each round of layoffs that someone needs to create a website with all of these talented journalists, and they'd crush it. And The Athletic has seemed to, you know, bring out a unique model and uh, hired so many great journalists uh, what is it about, I don't know, this medium, this platform that kind of convinced you that this was the new future for sports coverage? And uh, if our readers do sign up, which we encourage they do, uh, what can they expect? Well, just like you said, the, the timing was perfect for a new model because clearly the traditional Internet model of giving away the content for free and hoping you'll make enough ad revenue to pay for it is not working. And that's why all of these great uh, writers that you mentioned um, or let go this spring or this summer and replaced by videos that, frankly, as far as I can tell, nobody wants to watch. So we believe at The Athletic and certainly at The All-American, the college football site that we're launching, um, that four to five bucks a month is not asking that much for readers who really are much more focused on um, good journalism, good reporting, good analysis, and don't care so much about autoplay videos, clickbait headlines, uh, listicles, as we call them, 
Um, the beauty of the subscriber model is we serve the readers and the subscribers. We don't, aren't beholden at all to advertisers. So because of that, you know, we've hired, it's not just myself at the All-American, we've hired six great writers who've worked at places like ESPN.com and USA Today, and we have the resources and the time to send them out to campuses around the country and tell good stories. And because they've established relationships with their, at their uh, previous employers, you know, they're able to go to a Texas or go to an Oklahoma and get that access with the coaches and the players that not necessarily, um, you know, these people don't necessarily trust just anybody to come and do those stories. I, I think it's such a unique platform, and, and the price point to me is just perfect. I mean, for as much time as people spend on, you know, team message boards, I think this is a little bit cheaper, and you're actually getting better uh, content, actual journalism. So highly recommend it. Uh, check it out on uh, Stewart's uh, Twitter handle, uh, and you can also go to The Athletic or just search All-American. But, uh, you know, we've got the football season kicking off uh, with a heavy slate of games this week, and I look at, uh, you know, some of the, the quarterbacks. I mean, that that's kind of what drives the Heisman talk. That's what drives the, the NFL draft talk and you're primarily based out west and you've got a hell of a lot of good quarterbacks out there you've got Sam Darnold at USC you've got Josh Rosen UCLA then you got a kid out of uh, Washington and Luke Falk who can throw the ball around I mean is this the year of the quarterback in NCAA football I feel like every in the Pac-12 I feel like every year is the year of the quarterback and this year in particular there's just such a great storyline there with the two LA quarterbacks because Josh Rosen starts from the first game of his true freshman season and as is often the case with these quarterbacks, the hype had already begun, oh, this guy's the future number one pick. Then he gets injured last year, and UCLA really struggles, and Sam Darnold rises up uh, seemingly out of nowhere for USC, and now, you know, this past offseason, he's getting that buzz. So it mean, fascinating to watch those two kind of duke it out over the course of the season. You've, you mentioned Luke Falk at Washington State, obviously. Um, you've also got Jake Browning at Washington. So um, some great quarterback rivalries developing uh, you know, within the West, uh, on the West Coast, within that conference. Now, I, I'm kind of curious, specifically with Darnold and Rosen. Those seem to be the two prospects that NFL GMs are talking about for next year's draft. And you know, I've kind of heard some speculation that maybe there are some coachability issues with with Rosen at UCLA. But if you're an NFL GM or just, uh, I guess, if you're starting a team, which of those two quarterbacks do you want? Well, I, I have to, you know, when people start talking about this, I have to remind them. Sam Darnold only started 10 college football games in his career. So, you know, I think everybody always jumps on the new flavor. I'd like to see where things stand after his second full season, or actually his first full season as a starting quarterback in college. Josh Rosen has all the physical tools you would want. There's no question about that. I think where teams might get scared off is he's an unusual guy. He's a very outspoken guy. He's not afraid to give his opinions about NCAA amateurism and all these other issues. Um, there are whisperings, like you said. I mean, the famous story that Stanford had him on his campus. He wanted to go to Stanford, and they didn't offer him uh, because they didn't like his attitude at that camp that he attended. So all that stuff will probably haunt him when it comes time for the NFL scouting process. But, you know, again, these teams will have to make a decision. And usually if they think the guy is that good a quarterback, talent wins out. So he made some comments earlier, uh, you know, just a few weeks ago, actually, uh, regarding Alabama, saying that if, you know, they had the uh, the admission standards uh, that a lot of schools out West and the Pac-12 do, you know, they wouldn't be 11-1, 12-0 each year. What do you think about his comments? I thought his comments in general were, were pretty fair and frankly not that different from what sports writers write all the time. It's just unusual to hear an actual active college player say it. I mean, his point was that 
you know, and of course, in the, in the nature of the internet today in 2017, is that that one Alabama line got ex, uh, aggregated and, and spun out of context and thrown all over the internet. But his larger point was that, you know, it's very, very hard, if not impractical, to be both a college, big time college football player, and a serious college student, and that he knows that, you know, at, at many schools, and I, I don't know why he singled out Alabama, but at many schools. Um, you know, kids are steered to easier majors or they get an inordinate amount of academic advising, anything to just keep them eligible and get them through the system. And, you know, I think he was kind of railing against that more so than, you know, Alabama has some sort of unfair advantage because of their lower admissions requirements. I think a lot of it is just Alabama actually being ranked in the top five every preseason, contending under Nick Saban. And, uh, you know, this this past week, the, uh, the AP Top 25 poll came out. And, you know, it's it's the usual suspects up there. Alabama 1, Ohio State 2, Florida State 3. Uh, USC, after a great year last year, checks in at number 4. And I guess my question for you is, you know, we can't put a lot of stock in preseason rankings, a lot of shuffling year in and year out. But uh, last year we kind of had a surprise team in Washington make it to the college football playoff. Uh, do you expect a, a tight race this season, or is there a surprise team like Washington that can sneak into that Final Four? Yeah, I mean, I think the mix we're seeing so far, and I know it's only three years into the system, is for the most part it has been the Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, you know, kind of blue blood programs. But then you also can count on a Michigan State or Washington last year to sneak in there. It's not necessarily that they're, you know, because of their program history. I mean, Washington has won a national championship not that long ago. Uh, you just didn't see that coming in that particular year. So I expect that to repeat this year. Obviously, everybody wants to know, well, who is that surprise team? Um, and it's hard to predict. I, I like Oklahoma State. I think that they're. The, this is the team that, to me, uh, reminds me a lot of their 2011 team that finished, I believe, number two in the country, or number three maybe. Um, you know, you've got a great quarterback-receiver tandem coming back in Mason Rudolph and James Washington. You've got Justice Hill, uh, rising star, sophomore running back. I think they're going to be explosive on offense. They're not going to be dominant on defense. They rarely are. Uh, but in the Big 12, you tend to win that conference based on who can score the most points. And so I see an opportunity for them there, especially – with the coaching change at Oklahoma, that maybe Oklahoma isn't necessarily going to, um, you know, have as smooth a sailing this season as they have the last couple of years. I think that's a natural segue to talk uh, Big 12. I mean, the Big 12 had five teams ranked in the top 25. And, of course, Mason Rudolph, hell of a quarterback at Oklahoma State. And then you've got, a, you know, another Heisman candidate at Oklahoma in Baker Mayfield, who had some off-the-field issues this year. Oklahoma loses their running backs. But it seems that each year nationally, the Big 12 just – hasn't gotten a lot of respect since that first year when Baylor and TCU were kind of on the edge of the playoff bubble, but they haven't been able to break into that, I guess, elite conferences. They sort of separated into that number five slot, particularly because of NFL prospects. What does the league have to do to sort of, I don't know, gain respect back in terms of college football writers, in terms of respect from uh, other conferences and other leagues? Uh, is is that doable? Well, I think it starts with non-conference season. And last season, you know, the, the the narrative of the Big 12 was basically written in the first couple of weeks when Oklahoma lost to Houston and Oklahoma State lost to Central Michigan uh, and so and right on down the list. I mean, it was just not a good non-conference season for the Big 12. You know, so this season, Oklahoma goes to Ohio State. Um, you know, you've got other high-profile games involving these teams early on in the season. they got to win more of those games. And then I think from a more macro perspective, really the, the decline of the Big 12 in people's eyes has been directly tied to the decline of Texas. 
you know, Texas is Texas and Oklahoma are going to be the the uh, flagship programs that the conference is measured by in this 10-team model after you've lost Nebraska, after you lost Texas A&M, and Texas has been down this entire decade. So obviously, a lot of people are looking to Tom Herman as the guy that will right the ship and get them back where they uh, were for most of Mac Brown's tenure. And if that happens, then that's going to lift the whole Big 12 because they're you know, they in Oklahoma are the ones that tend to produce the most NFL draft picks when things are going well, and Texas just hasn't been producing them recently, and obviously contending for um, New Year's Tom Herman, obviously first-year head coach spot. of Texas, uh, he walks in with a lot of talent. Uh, you know, coaching seemed to be the issue, and getting that talent to perform seemed to be an issue under Charlie Strong. Is Tom Herman the right man for the job, or is he still in a tough situation at Texas? It's hard to argue with, uh, with what he did at Houston. You know, I think he showed in a very short amount of time what kind of head coach he can be. It was a similar, um, you know, rebuilding situation that he walked into. Now, I think, you know, and Charlie Strong's own comments didn't help with this. I think the um, the talent level on hand has been maybe overhyped just a little bit. I mean, it's good. Don't get me wrong. It's better than it was two or three years ago. Uh, but I don't think, like, Texas is just sitting on, you know, Alabama-type talent level and just waiting for the right coach to come in. But, you know, it helps to know who your quarterback's going to be in Shane Michelle. Uh, I think the defense, which was really the problem under Charlie Strong in the last couple of years, which was surprising, finally has experience across the board. So there's definitely an opportunity there for him to come in and at least have great improvement in the record the first year. I mean, this was a this was not a – you know, this should not have been a five and seven team last season, and so this year's team should be, I think, a minimum an eight and four team. And if he can get them above that, I think that's been considered a pretty decent first season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of my former colleagues uh, was the uh, video director at Alabama last year, and has uh, recently been hired by Tom Herman. And uh, he has definitely told me that he likes the vibe in Austin. Is definitely encouraged uh, for the college football season start. But uh, Stuart, I'm actually a Baylor grad. I, I worked. Uh, at Baylor for a few years before going to the uh, the corporate world, but uh, we've got a new head coach. There was a tumultuous season, you know, essentially the last two years under Art Bryles and then, uh, you know, the regime last year, but uh, Matt Rule seems to have come in and at least uh, from an external perspective uh, seems to have put the program in a better direction. What are your thoughts with him, and uh, can Baylor fans, I guess, feel confident with him at, at the leadership position? You know, I think he's he's coming... He, Everybody was surprised that that was the job he took of all, you know, he was up for several big jobs, uh, but I think he's done a great job of immersing himself in that community and, and establishing himself in a very short amount of time as, you know, a guy that despite his lack of Texas roots gets the culture there. Obviously that showed in their uh, recruiting this past season. Uh, I do think it's a bit of a challenge though. I mean, he's, this is a complete culture change and, and a much needed one from the Art Briles regime to the way Matt Rule is going to run things. Generally, when something that drastic happens, you know, you're going to struggle a little bit at first. And obviously they struggled on the field last year. Uh, I think they were, probably had better personnel than the record last year. Things were just such a mess last season. Uh, but is it realistic to expect this team to be much better than 6-6? Six and six? I'm not sure. I think, you know, for the first time in a long time, there's uncertainty at quarterback for Baylor. There's not the obvious... Um, you know, kind of just uh, luxury of all these great receivers and running backs that we used to see under our trials. And, of course, defense um, needs to get a lot better. So I think it's going to be a little bit rough at first, and I hope Baylor fans are understanding of that. 
because given some patience and some time, I certainly think he can get things going there. That's exactly what I want to hear. You know, I think a, a high watermark for this team would be a bowl game, six and six. I think I would be satisfied with that. I'm kind of thinking somewhere in the five and seven range. But one of the last things I want to touch on real quick is uh, U of H. I mean, we are a Houston-based podcast. Uh, Tom Herman obviously going to uh, Texas, Major Applewhite, the former Texas great, taking over as the uh, the head coach. Uh, you know, they, they lose their quarterback, uh, but they've got uh, arguably one of the best defensive linemen in at Oliver returning to campus. Uh, they received some votes in the top 25, not quite ranked. Uh, where do you put U of H this year under uh, the first year for Major Applewhite? I think that it's, you know, it's interesting that they've fallen back under the radar because Tom Herman left, and yet that's still the makings of a very good team. You know, when you have guys like Ed Oliver, um, you know, and the talent that Tom Herman recruited there, I mean, there's no question in my mind that they have the most talent of any uh, group of five team. Now, USF has a tremendous quarterback, and they're coming off a great year, and so they're kind of the trendy pick, and maybe that's how it'll play out. But, you know, I think Houston has the makings of a really good uh, – has a chance to have a really good season again uh, if Major Applewhite, you know, pick basically picks up where Tom Herman left off. I mean, this is, uh, like you said, Texas legend and a guy who's had a lot of uh, experience at the coordinator level, first time being a head coach, and, and we'll have to see how that plays out. I think the expectations are high, especially as, uh, you know, Tolman Fertitta told him when he was hired that uh, it was nine wins or bust, essentially. But, uh, Stuart, I, I do want to put you on the spot real quick. Uh, if you're calling it right now, who are the four teams that make the playoffs, and uh, who is your national champion? Not the most original uh, playoff picks for the most part, especially with the, the you'll see some repeat teams from last season. Alabama, Ohio State, like Washington to come out of Pac-12, and then I mentioned them before, Oklahoma State as the fourth playoff team with Ohio State winning it all. I, I like that pick. I think that's a, that should be a fun playoff if it does come to fruition. But, uh, Stuart, we definitely appreciate you joining us on the Weekly Brew Podcast. And, again, uh, the All-American uh, product of The Athletic launches this week. And uh, for our listeners, what can they expect from the first week of coverage from uh, The All-American? You're going to see some very original features that people have been out reporting uh, at training camps over the course of August. You're also going to see um, a good mix of um, film, you know, uh, some analysts are going to be looking at film and giving you some scouting breakdowns of the opening weekend games, a lot of Florida State, Alabama coverage, and um, some surprise appearances as well some from some very interesting contributors from all over the map. We're definitely looking forward to the launch. And, of course, if you want to follow Stuart and all of his work, uh, you can subscribe to the All-American and also follow him on Twitter at S.L. Mandel. But, uh, Stuart, it's, it's been great having you on the show. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Closing time. Again, this is episode 106 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. And uh, as, as stated earlier to lead the show, I am coming at you from Dallas, Texas, uh, this week on Monday morning as uh, I, was, I, I, I fled Hurricane Harvey Friday night uh, in Houston. And obviously, it's it, it's very hard to see all of the images, all of the pictures that are coming as you watch the uh, you know the rescue attempts in in Houston. It's just something that uh, nobody wants to happen. Nobody wants to see happen, uh, and it's especially more difficult when it's your hometown uh, and and you see this ongoing. But uh, thanks to Hunter and Jeremy for joining me on the phone line to kind of give an on-the-ground perspective of what they've seen, uh, the impact that they've seen on Houston. Of course, Jeremy's saying that it's probably the worst that he's seen, uh, and far worse than uh, Tropical Storm Allison back in 2001, um, which to me is just, that's hard to fathom. 
I mean, it's very difficult to try to record this podcast right now and uh, at a loss for words, to be honest. Outside of the flood, um, I hope that you did enjoy the interview that that I did with Stuart Mandel. Uh, College football is just around the corner. Baylor kicks off on Saturday against Liberty. U of H is supposed to play UT San Antonio. We'll see if that game happens. A lot of games are being impacted, but I will say this. In times of disaster, sports can provide a reprieve, uh, something for a city to rally behind. The Houston Astros had a come-from-behind win on Sunday, uh, winning 7-5 to in Anaheim. It, it put a smile on a lot of Houstonians' faces, and so, I don't know, the Saints provided so much relief and a sense of pride for New Orleans back in 2005, 2006. The city rallied around them. Uh, you know, maybe the, maybe the city rallies around U of H. Maybe they rally around Rice. Maybe they rally around the Texans or uh, the Astros. But Houstonians are resilient. The flood might cause a lot of money and damage, but Houston will rebuild. It's uh, arguably the greatest city in the United States. It will be fine. We will recover. Uh, this episode is a little bit abbreviated, but I hope you got something out of it. Uh, I hope I hope you enjoyed the the college football talk with Stuart Mandel. Uh, it's a little bit of a reprieve from uh, the hurricane talk, uh, but if there's anything that we can do to help out, or if we can share information, uh, just send us a tweet. Find us on Facebook at Weekly Brewcast. We want to help. We're going to help. And on behalf of my co-hosts this week, Jeremy Paxson, Hunter Atkins, thanks to Stuart Mandel for joining us on the podcast. Stay dry. Stay safe, Houston. We'll talk soon.